Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.23 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 4th of September, 2020, and this is episode 282 of Bitcoin, and how about that dip? (laughs) You get used to it, though. Your brain does the translating. I don't even see the charts anymore. All I see is dip, buy the fucking dip, hodl. I mean, come on, dude. It's all good. It's all going to be fine, man. We've seen it all before. And, of course, the detractors are out there calling the death of Bitcoin, and it's worthless in the long term. And, I mean, it's just... It's all over the place, like it always is every single time this happens. It's like, not only is it like clockwork, it's just amazing to watch because it's like, oh God, are you new here? (laughs) No, honestly, guys, don't, don't freak out. If you're a noob, you know, this is like, for veterans... We don't, we really don't even see the dip anymore, other than to be able to figure out when to buy, when to stack some sats. That's about all that really matters anymore. But I mean, in the long term, there's, you got to look for everything else that's on the horizon. Like, you know, like this one uh, tax payment in Bitcoin and Ethereum will soon be accepted in Zug, Switzerland. And Thonia, is she, I, I hope I didn't butcher that one, but I've never heard of Anthonia before. That's a cool name, man. This was actually written yesterday. Yeah, writing for Crypto Potato, uh, Anthonia says, Zug, a canton in Switzerland, will be the first canton to start accepting cryptocurrency for tax payment purposes starting in February 2021. If you don't know what a canton is, think of it like a state or you know if you live in a state like a like a a county or something like that it's kind of it's sort of like a they have their own rules as far as uh what they do on a state by state basis um but they're all part of Switzerland so it's that's what a canton is <clears throat> according to an announcement by the canton on Zug on Thursday September the 3rd taxpayers in the canton will have the option of paying bitcoin or paying taxes in bitcoin and Ethereum, the crypto tax payment option, which is open to both individuals and companies, will see taxpayers pay taxes to the tune of $110,000. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but we'll go with it. The crypto tax payment functionality comes via a partnership with Bitcoin Suisse, a cryptocurrency broker headquartered in Zug. As part of the collaboration, Bitcoin Suisse will help convert crypto to francs to avoid the state incurring losses due to price volatility. Okay, we're going to stop right there. Uh, there's a lot of people who talk about, well, if you're just going to buy and hold or hodl Bitcoin, then it can't possibly ever be used as a money. Yeah, well, that possibly is true, except for one small fact. Miners are going to have to sell their Bitcoin on the market to pay for their shit. So there's always going to be liquidity there. Now we have tax authorities that are going to start taking cryptocurrency and immediately liquidate it on the open market the second that they get it, and there's going to be liquidity there. There's never going to be a short in liquidity on Bitcoin. Okay, it's just, that's just never going to happen. There's always going to be some poor dipshit that thinks, oh, well, if I sell it now, I'll be able to do X and it doesn't matter what that X is. Okay. So just chill out with the whole Bitcoin's supply is going to dry up. That's bullshit. Okay, here we go. Furthermore, taxpayers willing to use the crypto option will notify the authorities and thereafter receive a QR code via email. 
While crypto payment for taxes is set to start in February of 2021, the Canton of Zug will run a pilot in a few weeks' time to check for any errors. Besides, the Swiss Canton will not accept partial payments. Uh, quote, or rather, speaking on the new tax payment method, Heinz Tandler, the Zug finance director, said, quote, as the home of the Crypto Valley, <laughs> it is important for us to promote or further promote and simplify the use of cryptocurrencies in everyday life. We can make one by being able to pay tax debts with Bitcoin or Ether. That's a big step in this direction, end quote. The Canton of Zug accepted crypto for tax payments is an ex- extension of an earlier decision of its capital. What? Oh, yeah, okay. The city of Zug, which announced the payment of taxes in Bitcoin back in 2016. Also, Zermatt, a municipality in Switzerland, partnered with Bitcoin Suisse to accept BTC for local taxes. Accepting crypto as payment for taxes is another indication of the growing acceptance of virtual currencies in different facets of human life. Back in March of 2018, a bill was proposed in Illinois to allow residents to pay taxes using cryptocurrency. In November of 2018, The tax administrator in Ohio partnered with BitPay to provide the option of paying tax debts with Bitcoin. Following Ohio's announcement, major online retailer Overstock paid its corporate taxes in the state using BTC. As reported by Crypto Potato in August of 2020, Venezuela announced that it might start receiving taxes and fees in Petro, its native currency. Oh, God. Okay, I think I know what's going on. This is probably a fairly... Not well-researched and a poorly translated article. I, it's my understanding that Ohio stopped accepting any kind of cryptocurrency for uh, tax liabilities when, uh, what was it, their governor changed over? I can't remember who it was. It was the, one of the guys in Ohio that was up in the, the state legislature, and I'm pretty sure it was the governor, said, okay, we're going to do this. And then he ended up losing the election or resigned or something like that. I can't remember how he got out, but he got out of office and the next guy came in and said no. So I'm, I am under the impression that as of right now, no, in Ohio, you're not paying taxes anymore. That may have happened that one year for overstock, but no longer. So let's move on to, oh God. Yeah, well, let's talk about the dip and the CME gap. BTC dips below 10,000 as traders eye the CME gap. Samuel Haig writing for Cointelegraph sometime late last night. An aggressive week of selling has seen the price of Bitcoin fall below 10,000 for the first time since late July, triggering fear in the markets. After posting a local top of roughly 12,500 on August the 17th, BTC consolidation or consolidated between $11,250 and $12,100. However, the last three days have seen sellers reject $12,000 and take over the market. Roughly four hours ago, Bitcoin briefly changed hands for $9,990 after seven weeks of price action above $10,000. Despite buyers quickly pushing prices back into five figures, many traders are anticipating that prices will drop further to tag the most recent, quote, CME gap at $9,700. Now, listen closely. If you don't know what it, people always say, well, it, it gap, I filled my gaps or the gap and all that. Okay, we're finally going to figure out what the hell a gap is here. The fabled CME gap occurs when the markets make an aggressive move outside of the trading hours that the Chicago Mercantile Exchange's Bitcoin futures markets are trading at resulting in a price gap on the charts. With the most recent gap appearing after Bitcoin's sudden spike above $10,000 in mid-August, the gap is then, quote, filled if the charts retrace to retest the price area that is missing from the CME's chart, fueling predictions that the markets are destined to retest the $9,700 zone. However, not all are convinced that the CME gap is behind the latest crypto crash, with some analysts attributing the dip to high correlation between Bitcoin and the legacy markets, with the tech sector having led a 4% crash in the S&P 500 earlier in the day. Others speculate that Ethereum's eye-watering gas fees have popped the DeFi bubble, resulting in the retracement. BTC and ETH have both fallen 20% over roughly three days. The crypto fear and greed index is currently at 40, which indicates fear. A sharp drop from yesterday's figure of 79, which was extreme greed. 
Okay, commentary. No, the the DeFi bubble has not been popped. Uh, I doubt you're going to see that for a little bit. Um, I don't know exactly when. I don't think it's going to be long, but it's probably going to be a little bit longer than even I think because greed is a powerful, powerful drug. And remember, remember 2017. If you were hanging around in 2017 and you saw the insanity of the ICO markets, then you should understand that, no, we're, we're probably in for quite a wild ride on, on the DeFi scam. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that here in a second. But yeah, I, I, would, not, I would not attribute this entire dump to uh, a DeFi bubble popping. Because if it was popping, the smart money would go ahead and buy, buy Bitcoin. And I guarantee you there is smart money in DeFi. It's just that those are the guys that have no expectations of anything other than selling the top. That's it. They don't give a shit about lending. They don't care about the mission of DeFi. That, no. If you think they do, then you really are fooling yourself. And, and please seek help immediately. Bank of England governor wants stablecoin regulation, dismisses Bitcoin as a means of payment. <gasps> this just happened to be written yesterday. Or rather, actually, it, was not only, it wasn't that it was written yesterday. It was the fact that the guy said it yesterday. Nick Chong, writing yesterday for BTC Times, says stablecoins, cryptocurrencies tied to the value of an underlying asset like the U.S. dollar will likely soon face regulatory pressure as central banks and other regulatory agencies notice their assent. Andrew Bailey, the incumbent governor of the Bank of England, announced the central bank's intent to regulate stablecoins in a speech on September the 3rd. That was yesterday. According to a transcript of Andrew Bailey's latest address, he specified or specifically cited concerns that stablecoins are currently not subject to the same regulation measures as traditional payment rails. In his address, Bailey noted that, quote, many earlier forms of crypto assets such as Bitcoin have proved unsuitable for widespread use in payments. Stablecoins, and particularly global stablecoins, aim to do just that, end quote. He did not mention any stablecoin by name, but brought attention to global stablecoins, presumably in reference to Libra and others like Tether USDT, due to their potential to reduce frictions in payments and increased convenience in transactions, Bailey noted that stablecoins must be regulated with equivalent standards to payment means that are in place today. Oh, the children. Oh, the terrorist. Oh, the money laundering. Oh, my God. The Bank of England head noted that first and foremost, the security of the funds backing each coin is crucial as stablecoins should hold parity to the underlying asset at all times. Bailey noted that there should be comprehensive domestic and international regulation and supervision for stablecoins. Good luck. <clears throat> Speaking to privacy concerns, Bailey further cited the widespread misuse of user data in the past and noted that while the enhanced financial data that can be collected through digital payments may aid in the detection and prevention of financial crime, this must be balanced with the risk of surveillance into private financial matters. Hmm. All right. Bailey's comments come after notable supranational groups have targeted stablecoins as potential threats to certain aspects of the global financial system. The Financial Action Task Force, or the FATF, published a 32-page report on so-called stablecoins in July. The agency focused on developing policies to combat, here comes, money laundering. <coughs> Has representatives from a majority of the world's countries representatives of the group of seven. I'm, you know what? I'm going to stop right there. The, let's read that again. The FATF published a report on stablecoins in July. The agency focused on developing policies uh, to combat money laundering and has representatives from a majority of the world's countries. Okay, what, that actually needs to be rewritten as has representatives from a, world, from a majority of the world's countries' governments. Okay. The citizenry is completely and totally shut out of any of these fucking decisions. And it's the citizenry that has control over a lot of this stuff. I, and what I mean by control, I mean like holding Bitcoin. And uh, let's say even holding Tether. I mean, I, I, I don't hold any of that stuff. I, I hold Bitcoin. And as you know, I have a bag full of Doge, but, you know, it's because it's Doge, man. It's a cute little meme coin. I don't actually think it has value. I just, I just, for some reason, I just, I'm not ever going to get rid of my Doge. 
probably because it's unethical for me to sell it to somebody, but whatever. What I'm getting at here is that we're bifurcating and the citizenry of the world is a lot bigger than the governments that, that quote unquote control them. And right now control them, they do or control us. But I see a, I see a, a flip in the future and I think Bitcoin enables that. So I suggest that we let them go ahead and claw and bitch and moan and let them pick the low hanging fruit so that by the time they have no more fruit to pick, the only thing left is going to be Bitcoin. And by that time, they will have wasted all of their time looking at ICOs and DeFi and, and, and scattering those things to the four winds. And so much more will have built, been built into the privacy aspects of Bitcoin, either on second or third layer technologies, that they just have no hope. And I don't want them to have any hope. I want them to wake up and go, shit, we're done, dude. We're done. Anyway, uh, let's see here. Where were we? Uh, representatives of the Group of Seven, an intergovernmental committee that is formed by the United States, Japan, United Kingdom, Germany, Canada, Italy, France, released a similar report in October of 2019 to address the threat of Libra. Like Bailey, the representatives of these two groups see potential in stable coins, but also note that they currently lack the proper regulatory framework to be commercially viable and secure. The FATF report specifically names seven stable coins, which are Tether, USD coin, Paxos, TrueCoin, Dai, Libra, and Gram. Wait a minute. I thought Gram was done. Uh, maybe it's because this report came before the uh, courts in the United States crushed uh, Telegram's Gram. Anyway, Libra has already adjusted its plans due to regulatory pressure, watering down the plans to attempt to decentralize the network and its stablecoin. Other stablecoin projects, however, remain relatively unregulated. It's worth noting that Andrew Bailey is not known to be a fan of Bitcoin. You think? The central banker, during his time as the head of the Financial Conduct Authority, told the BBC in late 2017 that Bitcoin makes little sense as an investment because it's not a currency and is not backed by any central bank. Quote, it's not a currency. It's actually not regulated in its Bitcoin form. <laughs> It's a very volatile commodity in terms of its pricing. If you look at what has happened this year, I would caution people. If you want to invest in Bitcoin, be prepared to lose your money. That would be my serious warning. And honestly, that's not that bad of a warning. I mean, we tell people that all the time. It's like, don't mortgage your house for it. Bailey also opined that because Bitcoin is pseudonymous, he has concerns that it is used to facilitate crimes such as money laundering and terrorist financing and oh my god for the children and bullshit prior to his appointment to the central bank of the uk he reiterated in a march hearing that one buying bitcoin should be prepared to quote lose all their money all right fine i'm sure we will all listen to you and take your bullshit under advisement coinbase launching new platform allowing startups to create custom crypto assets Guys, it's Ethereum 2.0, the Daily Hodel staff writing for the Daily Hodel sometime on the 2nd. Oh yeah, and I guess I should say my apologies for not coming to you yesterday. Um, I had some uh, digital audio workstation issues and I'm still going to be working those out. I'm not exactly sure what has occurred. I'm still using the same one, but uh, something, something weird happened. I don't know. I, I don't know what that was. And also... I got German cockroaches. No, I'm not talking about Nazis. No, literally, they're called German cockroaches. They're little itty-bitty cockroaches. They're not like the great big, you know, Thailand cockroaches that scare the shit out of people. No, these things are little bitty. Roaches, they still are, but they are little tiny. And in a way, it kind of makes them even worse. They're really hard to kill. So I had to empty out my entire freaking kitchen of everything. All food, pots, pans, dishes, glasses, forks, knives, uh, utensils, you name it. It was like, it was like when we first moved into the house. There was, n there was nothing in the kitchen. So that's why I, I, once I figured out that I, I'd already recorded 20 minutes and it failed, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do this. I got to get the shit out because I want German cockroaches dead. And again, no, I'm not talking about Nazis. Crypto exchange Coinbase is developing a platform designed to give startups a simple way to launch custom crypto assets in a podcast hosted by investor Patrick O'Shaughnessy. O'Shaughnessy. 
Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong talks about the many regulatory and funding impediments faced by crypto startups. Although Coinbase has invested in at least 60 crypto startups through Coinbase Ventures, Armstrong says regulatory nuances remain unclear for startups that are trying to break into the space. Quote, there's a lot of really talented teams trying to build companies this way now, but a lot of the regulatory environment is still unclear for them about, is this a security? What kind of securities regulations might you trip up if you do these? And so there's all these kinds of different exemptions and stuff that people are trying to jump through hoops and try to make it work in, quote, to help startups navigate the space, Coinbase is going back to the drawing board by building a service provisionally called Coinbase Launch. The service aims to streamline processes from the creation of smart contracts to the launching of talk token offerings and everything in between. Quote, it's a way for anybody who wants to do a crypto startup to come in and say, all right, I want to issue a token. Maybe I want to raise money. Maybe I want to use it to build my community and just handhold people through that process and help them with the custody of it help them create the smart contract, help them with the governance issues, vesting of these things if you need to distribute those to employees so that you can be taken to jail on more than one count. That's what I'm saying. The new service could potentially expand the adoption of crypto, providing thousands of startups the opportunity to leverage Coinbase's expertise and, oh, expertise and reputation to scale up their ventures. <laughs> oh my God, it's so sad. Quote, I think that it's kind of like Stripe Atlas meets Angel List or something. I don't know what exactly the analogy would be, but that could be a huge unlock for the crypto economy as well to get thousands of new startups built like that. End quote. Jesus, this is CEO. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but by God, we're going to launch the living shit out of it. Oh, Daily Hodel staff. Writing for the Daily Hodel, <clears throat> Binance CEO drops series of unpopular opinions on DeFi, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and the future of crypto. This was written yesterday. The founder and CEO of Binance says he's giving crypto traders an unfiltered dose of truth on the state of the crypto markets. In a series of tweets, Shengpeng Zhao warns investors about the booming DeFi market. Quote, unpopular opinion. I see lots of bubbles in DeFi now. I believe the core concept of staking coins to provide liquidity and earning a return will stay, but these super high yields returns, or sorry, but these super high yield returns subsidized by new tokens won't. Super high risk. Be cautious, end quote. Zhao explained on his DeFi views in a recent interview with Box Mining says that the majority of projects in the DeFi space will fail in the long run. Well, CZ, they were never designed to succeed. They were designed to fleece people out of money. I don't see what, why you don't get this. Quote, initially, when people talk about DeFi, they think about lending so you can lend your coins. But now you lend the coins to provide liquidity. When the liquidity is good, people trade more and trade more easily. I think automatic market makers are an interesting invention. They're a really simple concept. At the same time, most projects in the DeFi space will fail. It does not mean that DeFi is not good. Oh, God, here we go. It's just that only a few will succeed. The few that succeed will succeed wildly. But when you're investing in the DeFi space, do be very careful. It's a new field. A majority of projects do fail in any new field. In another unpopular tweet, Zhao says Bitcoin and Ethereum won't be the only long-term survivors in the crypto market. He points to the speed of the top two crypto assets by market cap as the bottleneck that other blockchains will surpass. <laughs> Quote, unpopular opinion, one blockchain to rule them all is unlikely due to capacity limits. We need more and faster blockchains. I consider BTC and ETH as huge successes as their usage already far surpasses their design capacity, but we need more, end quote. Binance recently launched Binance Smart Chain, which is designed to allow developers to create smart contracts for tokens on the network that powers Binance coin. So there you go. Yet, you know, CZ is a shit coiner. I mean, in, in a way, I kind of like him in the same way I kind of like Arthur Hayes. Although, in my opinion, Arthur Hayes is much better player in the space than CZ ever is. But still, I mean, I don't totally hate the guy because he's a human. What are you going to do? He's going to be greedy. But this is, I mean, even when, you know, when, when a guy that stands 
One of the people that stands the most to gain from DeFi is calling out most of DeFi as bullshit. You really should listen. And this whole liquidity thing, I like that was, you know, has been my question about DeFi for a long time because it, the way that the, you know, all these white papers make any DeFi project sound is like loans. And when you, when a normie just hears, I can get a loan and it's decentralized, it's, it's decentralized finance. Maybe I can go get some money to go buy some, I don't know, drugs or a new car or a down payment on a house or something. It ain't that. You're just staking your shit so that traders can have enough liquidity so they can trade the market, which includes shorting and longing and buying derivatives and trading those on trading platforms. That's all this shit is. That's all it is. If you thought you were going to go up to one of these guys and like be like non-credit worthy and like get a loan because somebody else is staking your ass, that's not what this is. If you thought that, I'm sorry. But even I, at the very first, when DeFi first started kicking off, I'm like, does that mean that I can go get a loan? Not that I would have, but I'm just like, I don't know what this shit means because it's all crap. It's all just a bunch of hooey. So just be aware. Uh, let's see. Electronic Frontier Foundation calls out Coinbase on privacy. God, that's sad. Jeff Benson writing for Decrypt.co sometime on September the 2nd. Uh, in the, in at least one key way, cryptocurrency exchanges are exactly like banks. Americans who use them can have their information turned over to government agencies without a warrant. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, a privacy-centric civil liberties group, has had enough of that, so it's looking for cryptocurrency exchanges whose users often prize crypto crypto's anonymity and censorship resistance to push back. Today, it called on Coinbase to release regular transparency reports detailing government requests for user information and how the exchange responds. Quote, EFF has become increasingly concerned that payment processors are being asked to turn over information uh, on their customers without any mechanism for the public to know who is making these requests or how often. Haley Sukayama wrote in an EFF blog post today. She continued, quote, in providing the public with data, on how often law enforcement seek or law enforcement seek user data and how often services comply transparency reports show whether companies are living up to their promises to protect user privacy in quote in EFF's view Coinbase has at least on one occasion not protected user privacy it points to the exchange's role in providing information to federal law enforcement as part of an investigation into child pornography site that took payments in bitcoin in that case, the federal government subpoenaed Coinbase for details on any user who had sent any Bitcoin to any account associated with that site. Coinbase point, pointed agents to a customer named Richard Gretkowski. Law enforcement used that information to obtain a search warrant for his house where they allegedly found a hard drive with illegal pornography. Although they obtained a warrant to search Gretkowski's house, federal agents did not serve a warrant to Coinbase. Meaning the subpoena wasn't requested, or what the subpoena request was not approved by a judge. As EFF notes, they didn't have to. A district court ruled that Gratowski, as a cryptocurrency exchange user, lacked a reasonable expectation of privacy. In upholding that decision, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals concluded Bitcoin users have the option to maintain a high level of privacy by transacting without a third party intermediary. But that requires technical expertise, so Bitcoin users may elect to sacrifice some privacy by transacting through an intermediary such as Coinbase. In other words, when users turn over their financial data to a third party, whether it's a bank, cryptocurrency exchange, or other financial institution, their transactions are no longer necessarily private. Not your keys, not your constitutional right for privacy. EFF thinks the ruling makes no sense in a world where everyone navigates through their daily life by relying on services such as email that provide third parties with access to sensitive information. EFF stops short of faulting Coinbase for handing over information in the Grotowski case. Instead, it wants to know how often such requests happen and how Coinbase decides whether or not to comply. Notably, rival exchange Kraken releases a transparency report at the end of every year detailing how many requests it gets from law enforcement, including the country, agency, and location of the account holder. Picking on Coinbase is something of a strategic decision as EFF wades into the crypto waters and appeals to users' basic expectation of privacy. 
quote, is one of the largest individual companies in the United States cryptocurrency market. Coinbase wields tremendous power and influence over this dynamic, uh, Sukiyama wrote. It should stand up for its users and also use its market power to, and influence to show others that transparency reports are an industry standard for all cryptocurrency exchanges, end quote. Good luck. Brian Armstrong doesn't give a shit. He just doesn't, and he never is going to. But I want to read this one again. <clears throat> this is the opinion of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Okay, this is a big deal. The Fifth Circuit is a huge swath of the United States, and before you go to the Supreme Court, you're going to hit one of the circuit courts. And Ninth Circuit, like handles California, Fifth Circuit is like Texas. Uh, I think it goes all the way to Florida. I'm not exactly sure exactly the, the expanse of these things. But there's the First Circuit, Second, Third, you know, there's these circuits. And before you're going to take your shit to the Supreme Court, you're going to end up having to go through a, a circuit court, right? It's a big deal. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is one of the largest circuit courts that there is and one of the most important, so their opinions have a little bit more weight than some of the other circuit courts. This is the opinion. Bitcoin users have the option to maintain a high level of privacy by transacting without a third-party intermediary, but that requires technical expertise. So, Bitcoin users may elect to sacrifice some privacy by transacting through an intermediary such as Coinbase, end quote. That, pair, that, that sentence, or those two sentences, says everything that you need to know. They're literally giving you an out. You need to work hard on your privacy. It is up to you. Yes, you have a right to privacy, but you have, a, you have your own obligation to figure out how that works. Okay? It's not easy. It's just because you have the right to bear arms doesn't mean that it's easy to bear arms. Just because you have the right to free speech doesn't mean that it's easy to commit to that free speech. Okay, you have the right to privacy. You have the you you have the right. right? You, the United States, at least in the United States, the government can't just come take your papers and shit. Okay? But with that right comes the obligation to learn how to utilize that right. Even the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals understands not your keys not your constitutional right for privacy. Let's run some numbers. All right, because I am up so freakishly early, like my dad said, the only people that are up at this time of morning are thieves and oil men. I'm never going to forget that. <clears throat> anyway, um... The only thing that I got for you here is the futures market uh, for uh, the major indices. So let's see, after the bloodbath of yesterday, because the Dow was down like 800 points, <laughs> let's see what the recovery is going to look like. Oh, oh, you're saved. You're saved, guys. Uh, let's see. Uh, Dow futures are going to be down. Oh, oh, my, oh, okay. Well, like 0.02%. Your S&P futures are saved. Oh, no, they're down 0.3. NASDAQ futures got to be. No, down 1.52. So, yeah, you're probably going to get hosed again, but not as bad as yesterday because, dude, yesterday, holy shit. Energy futures look like this. Everything is up, as you can expect. There's flight to safety when this shit happens. So, oil, West Texas Intermediate, is up over a half point. Brent is up, is up under a half a point. Uh, natural gas up a percent and let's see metal what does gold look like uh it's up you know whatever like 0.39 it's gonna open somewhere around 1945 dollars so let's talk about real money not that this isn't one of the sadder parts of the day but uh, you know one btc is gonna set you back only ten thousand four hundred and forty dollars it looks like my low is going to be at hit BTC at 10,374. Do I have a high? Nope. 440 was my high. 313,000 transactions were made over the last 24 hours. And that means about 13,000 transactions are being made every hour on the hour. But by God, 2.8 million BTC traded hands 
during that 24-hour period, and that means about 118,500 BTC were sent on average per hour around the horn. 9 BTC is the average transaction value, and 0.069 BTC is the median transaction. That's $720. Block time is high, 10 minutes and 22 seconds. 1.13 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, and 156.5 BTC has been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a precipitous drop in hash rate, but it's only it's still only 6 6.2%, but that does bring us down to 116 exahashes per second, which like a week ago was an all-time high or something like that. Anyway, Ethereum 3 oh god below 400 394.35 Bcash at 232, Litecoin at $51. BSV at 160, Ethereum Classic at 5, and Dogecoin, woo, Dogecoin took a beating, 0.0028. And with 56,000 transactions for the last 24 hours under Doge's belt, it looks like it's knocking the snot out of Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and Bcash, which still has slightly above 20,000 transactions. Oh my God, it's the future of money, man. Clark Moody, Bitcoin. Showing a price of 10438 Now, Clark Moody runs the numbers himself and has come up with 18,479,321.08 BTC as the amount of BTC in circulation as of today, or, well, whenever he ran the number. Uh, there are 36,800 transactions waiting to clear. That will take 47 blocks. The Lightning Network has 1.57 BTC, one, uh, sorry, one point, good God, sorry, 1,057 BTC, and that has, that, the liquidity in that, meet, well, because of the price drop, the liquidity only represents $11.1 .1 million across 7,517 nodes, representing 37,483 channels. Uh, we've got a bump in Tor capacity, though. Tor capacity is at 48.9%, and that means that there's 517.29 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network and 2,391 Tor nodes representing that side of the network. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to round two of the morning roundup. Let's start with Craig Wright news. Everybody loves Craig Wright news. Look, you guys say that you don't want to hear anything more about Craig Wright, but everybody likes a circus. The circus will continue, literally. Liam Frost writing for Decrypt.co. Craig Wright, $11.5 billion trial has been pushed back to 2021. Florida court gave Craig Wright and Ira Kleeman, more time to work on, quote, a better presentation of each side's position, end quote. That's embarrassing, and that was written today. Judge Beth Bloom in Florida's Southern District Court has granted the motion to extend certain pretrial deadlines in an ongoing legal battle over half of 1.1 million Bitcoin, which is about $11.5 billion today, between self-proclaimed Bitcoin creator Craig Wright and the estate of David Kleeman. The trial itself, which was previously scheduled for October the 13th, has been postponed until 2021. Quote, this cause is set for trial during the court's two-week trial calendar beginning on January the 4th, 2021 at 9 a.m. Calendar call will be held at 1.45 p.m. on Tuesday, December the 15th, 2020, said the court order. The lawsuit against Wright was filed over a year ago by Ira Kleeman, the brother of Wright's alleged late partner, Dave Kleeman. Ira Kleeman claims the two former colleagues mined Bitcoin together in, in its early days while Wright stalwarts uh, that he was the sole miner. Kleeman estate is suing Wright for half of the 1.1 million Bitcoin stash that he claims to own worth $11.5 billion at today's prices. According to the court order published yesterday, the motion filed jointly by both parties has been granted in part specifically proceedings regarding the proposed verdict form of Wadire questions, exhibit list and objections will take place on December the 15th. Likewise, demonstrative and summary exhibits were moved to December the 21st. 
In their motion, the parties asked for additional time to, quote, work on a targeted joint presentation of the exhibits and objections with the hope of reducing the number of disputes requiring judicial resolution. Quote, using the proposed deadlines to make streamlined focused decisions will conserve judicial and party resources and lead to a better and more considered presentation of each side's position at trial, argued the document filed by Wright and the Kleeman estate. As Decrypt reported, Craig Wright's billion-dollar lawsuit was originally slated to go on trial July the 6th, but has since been postponed multiple times. If that hadn't happened, perhaps it would have all been over by now. God, one could have only hoped. But no, the the clown show is going to continue, and I almost can guarantee that it's going to go be like extended past the 2021 uh, uh, trial date. Uh, was it was it January the 4th? Yeah, January the 4th, 2021 is probably going to go past that. This shit's never going to stop. It's just, I don't know where he, I mean, I I don't know how much money Calvin Ayer has to give his sugar baby all this money to fight this thing and all the other things. But at one point or another, Calvin's going to run out of cash. I don't know how else to state it because it's like, I mean, Calvin did not make, I mean, he made a shit ton of money, but nobody's got this much money. Meme coin like Doge, NFT farming takes root with a $3 million meme coin. The Defiant has their article, uh, I guess they gave it to decrypt.co to republish, but it says, this was on September the 3rd, says meme protocol is the first NFT farming project with many others quietly building different versions of the same concept, but please don't buy meme. <clears throat> At the height of degen farming, where, where new food coins are quickly diminishing the reputation around liquidity mining, there's at least one project that shines through the rough uh, thanks to a tight-knit citadel banding around the very thing that drives farming forward, memes. This is a story of meme protocol, a community-conceived project spawned out of a telegram airdrop that since blossomed into a team of highly creative contributors pushing forward the potential for tokenized farming opportunities. As is increasingly common in DeFi, it all started with a joke, and in this case, a link to a telegram group posted on Twitter. Those who clicked through and filled out a Google form received 30... God, I hate this. 355.55 meme. Fast forward, and the 73 lucky recipients are now holding tokens worth $43,000. But many refuse to sell. Hodlers, I guess. It's hard to imagine why anyone would still be holding on to so much free loot. But here's why. The Degenerator. On August the 14th, Jordan Lyle spun up the Degenerator, a way to create new farming token in five minutes or less. This was a stab at the half-baked nature of many yield farming projects, a notion which has only gotten a hundred times worse in recent weeks with the advent of food coins like hot dog, kimchi, and yudo. <laughs> Once the tweet started going viral, the joke evolved. Quote, people were asking me if they could go build the degenerator project like the real thing. Jordan told the, defi- the defiant, I said, sure. I thought it would be fun to get people in a group and discuss how this could get built. A telegram group was added to the site, and within an hour, it quickly reached 500 members. This is how the idea for meme was conceived. Quote, the community had other plans, joked Lyall. It was out of my control. The idea was that people would fill out a Google form and receive meme, a valueless token uh, marking interest in the the degenerator project. Sorry. After the first form was deemed as being insufficient due to a lack of verification mechanisms, an infamous second form was created to mark the official list of airdrop recipients. The form one plus form two chaos happened within roughly five minutes of each other, meme moderator DeFi Dude told the Defiant. Form one only required an ETH address. Form two required a Telegram username for verification. There were a handful of people who filled Form 1 and not Form 2 and were really upset. And why would these people be upset? Look no further than the price of Meme, which climbed to as high as $230 last week and is now trading at around $120. That means that those who filled out Form 2 were airdropped a stash of tokens which ballooned to be worth as high as $80,000, people. 
quote, expectations were low. A Form 2 participant commented, quote, no one had a clue this would turn into a real project until the community started throwing out ideas and we got listed on CoinGecko with actual volume, end quote. A volume on meme peaked at $400,000 in 24 hours last week and at 28,000 circulating supply, its market cap is now more than $3 million. <laughs> God. Discussions around number go up quickly evolved into something bigger. A token permissioned access group was set up for those holding more than 100 memes, so joining that group cost $12,000, creating what is today known as the Meme Citadel. It was at this point that the man behind the madness realized that this was something worth paying attention to. Quote, early on when it started going into pump and dump territory, I wanted to distance myself from it, said Lyle. But shortly after all the dumpers had dumped, a group of the people, a group of people emerged that shared a, a broader vision. It's a, it's a broad vision. I knew we had something unique on our hands. Over the next 48 hours, the blueprint for DeFi's first NFT farming protocol was born. Users can lock meme and meme Uniswap LP tokens to farm credits called, oh God, here it comes people, pineapple points. Collect enough pineapple points and redeem a suite of NFTs ranging from basic to legendary rarities. While coins linked to platforms that had the sole purpose of farming and dumping those coins popped up left and right, a token born out of mocking the meme coin craze, calling itself meme, was gaining utility beyond pure speculation. The first NFT creators are being contacted, or sorry, contracted. Uh, Still, Citadel members are exploring whether artists could receive a share of purchases when and if pineapple points get tokenized. Now, meme LPs are on the cusp of redeeming the first legendary NFT following the 15-day period necessary to amass enough pineapple points from the Genesis LP pool. God. More details on memonomics here. That's a, a link. I'm not going to read that one. But the party doesn't stop there. Quote, everyone thinks they just mine NFTs and that's it. They have something cool to look at or sell on OpenSea, Lyle hinted. In future releases, the NFTs will have more utility. Bullshit. What started as a meme, no pun intended, is now forming into something much bigger. Meme Protocol is the first NFT farming project, but many others are set to follow as other teams are quietly building different versions of the same concept. The community around the whale token is exploring a different approach approach where instead of farmers getting NFTs as rewards, they stake NFTs and get whale as a reward. Oh, it's a circular economy. I get it now. Quote, there's a lot of power and potential in community-conceived coins, added DeFi dude. The community can come together and build whatever they want with whoever they want on top of it, end quote. Okay. In the growing era of yield farming, the meme protocol is one that continues to exceed expectations, but whatever you do, don't buy meme. You know, and it just occurred to me reading that entire bag of shit that I, I was saying on, what is it, Wednesday... I believe I was making uh, uh, making connections to this space and the way explosive evolution occurs. And it just occurred to me that this is sort of the same thing that goes on when you're a baby and the physical mass of your brain as, a, as an infant is making connections, right? Now, most of those connections actually die off, but some of them actually, you know, stick but yet look absolutely nothing like where, like you would think that a webbing that just forms immediately and very, very fast and then just degrades, you would think that what, if, what, if anything is left over would have some semblance or some, you could recognize something of the original web that formed it. No, it's not like that at all. It forms something completely different. In fact, I could, I'll think of it this way. Let's say that I'm like 100%, you know, gung-ho libertarian. And then that, you know, and I, I do all the things and I read all the books and I get all the ideas and I talk to all the people and like I'm an infant in the space. And then all of that makes all these connections in my mind, but a lot of those connections die away. And the only thing left is how much I hate libertarianism, which I don't. That's not the point. That's just the first thing that came into my head. I think that that's what's going on here, that these people are, are part like they're, you know, each person is in this quote unquote brain 
and we're forming connections with each other, but what's actually going to survive isn't going to look anything like the thing that caused us to form these connections, if that makes any sense whatsoever. I would stay as far away from this bullshit as humanly possible. Unless you just have oodles of cash that you don't mind putting in brown paper bags, lighting on fire, and chucking out the window. Well, hell, if you want to do that, that's fine. That's your business. But if you are planning on selling the top, I would go elsewhere and look for something other to sell the top on. Ethereum scammers target Indian prime minister. And yet <clears throat> another Twitter hack. Oh my God. Ashura Malwa writing this one for decrypt.co sometime yesterday. An account used by Narendra Modi to source relief payments and donations sent out a crypto address for accepting payments today. Well, of course, except hackers were behind it. <clears throat> hackers targeted a Twitter account belonging to Modi and used it for a national relief fund early on Thursday morning. According to news outlet AFP, the since-deleted tweet asked for charitable donations using a cryptocurrency, adding an Ethereum address in the comments. God, people. <clears throat> While the targeted Twitter account is, in reality, used to promote legitimate relief contributions and donations, the social media site confirmed the account was targeted by hackers instead of the relief fund, introducing crypto payments as a mode of donation. Quote, we're aware of this activity and have taken steps to secure the compromised account. We are actively investigating the situation, a spokesperson from Twitter said in a statement. The firm added it had no information on whether any other accounts were compromised. At press time, no similar report existed either. Twitter also added that it had not found any link between the Modi hack and the July breach, the report said. The attack comes just months after a widespread attack took control of several high-profile Twitter accounts to promote cryptocurrency-related scams involving Bitcoin and Ethereum. The Twitter account uh, accounts of a range of celebrities, such as social influencers Kim Kardashian, tech entrepreneurs like Elon Musk, and former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden were hacked at the time. The platform swiftly took down the affected accounts, but not before tweets were sent out by accounts totaling 346 million followers and over $120,000 in Bitcoin siphoned to the hacker's address. That doesn't make sense. You can't send Bitcoin to an Ethereum address. So one of those two things are wrong, people. It's either a Bitcoin address and $120,000 in Bitcoin was siphoned, or it's an Ethereum address and $120,000 of Ethereum was siphoned. Because guess what? There's no such thing as Bitcoin on Ethereum. I'm going to say that shit again. Anybody who tells you that there's more Bitcoin on Ethereum than there, than there is on Lightning is lying to you because you cannot put Bitcoin on Ethereum. That's the, And I'm referring to wrapped BTC. Stop it. If you're saying shit like that, you need to be key hauled. <clears throat> so, U.S. authorities allege that it was carried out by a 17-year-old teen in Florida who purportedly gained access to the site's admin keys. Meanwhile, crypto scams remain a menace on social media, but while Twitter has started its uh, to take steps to prevent such instances, video sharing giant YouTube continues to field such crypto ads. It has even been sued by Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak in August for failing to control such scams. So the bullshit continues. Twitter. You guys really get your shit together, man. Russian ministry proposes to amend a new law banning crypto transactions. Crypto mining is allowed, but payout in crypto is prohibited. Helen Parts writing for Cointelegraph sometime yesterday. Authorities in Russia continue the game of ping pong in regulating cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, even after passing the country's first crypto law. Russia's Ministry of Finance has reportedly proposed a set of amendments to the law on digital financial assets, or the DFA, which bans many operations with crypto. According to local news agencies, Izvestria, the proposed amendments envision a blanket ban on any operations with virtual currency, sorry, virtual money for individuals and individual entrepreneurs except for three scenarios. The ministry reportedly wants to ban all crypto transactions except the obtaining of assets through inheritance, bankruptcy, and enforcement proceedings. Huh. The amendments reportedly intend to prohibit miners from receiving payment for cryptocurrency mining. Quote, standalone crypto mining is legal, but it loses its financial value because the payment is usually processed in Bitcoin or Ether, is Vestra reports. The latest news brings even more confusion to Russia's current legal situation with crypto. After Russia finally passed its DFA bill in July 2020, 
Local authorities subsequently said that the regulation will be set out in another law referred to as the Bill on Digital Currency, or the DA. While the DA bill is expected to pass in late 2020, the DFA law is scheduled to be adopted in January of 2021, banning crypto-denominated payments in Russia. In late August 2020, Russia's telecom regulator blocked the country's largest crypto-related website, bestchange.ru, providing an aggregator of about 400 local crypto exchange websites. The platform was reportedly said to distribute information about buying or selling products with cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Best Change claims to have never provided in any information whatsoever about such services. So nobody knows what the hell's going on, apparently. India's like this. Russia's now like this. And you would think of all the people on the face of the planet that would be like, hey, this is how I fuck them. It would be, it would be Putin. But uh, even Putin falls into fear. Anybody who thinks that Putin is like completely like, you know, shirtless horse riding, you know, bear wrestling guy and is completely unafraid of all things, uh, you're wrong. He's scared of losing power like all these assholes are. But Cryptocurrency.new, or wait a minute, cryptocurrency, ah, I'm going to try this one more time. Cryptonews.com has this one from Said Fadil Pasek. Fadil Pasek? I don't know, man. It's hard. Yearn.finance's Yeth Vault getting filled with Ethereum. Yeah, we're going to end on, we'll, we'll end this entire morning roundup with pure stupid. The YETH vault from Yearn.Finance, or Wi-Fi, a vault for yield farming with Ethereum, was launched a day ago, and its growth could hardly go unnoticed. Okay, launched a day ago. So let's keep this in mind with how fast shit's moving. This is, this is September the 3rd, okay? No, I'm sorry, this, this article is written yesterday. Today is September the 4th. Two days ago, the YETH vault from Yearn Finance for Yield Farming Ethereum was launched two days ago. We're talking about 48 hours. This is how fast evolution occurs. This is not good evolution. This is the evolution of the stupid, and it will end with tears, but it's evolution nonetheless. Hey, evolution requires multiple sacrifices for the actual value to come, come forth, right? So the, all these guys are going to be sacrificed uh, to the altar of uh, 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 evolution. I'm just saying, man. Come on. The cryptoverse is today focused on the YETH vault and particularly its overnight growth. People were commenting on it holding 215,000 ether or 0.2% of all ETH in one day just several hours ago. Well, that's impossible because we don't know how much ETH there is especially the people who actually work on ETH don't know how much ETH there is. So stop saying stuff like that. That's 2% of all ETH. Now, looking into the vault, we find a balance of 345,000 with a value of nearly $142 million per etherscan.io2 wrapped ETH or YW ETH token tracker shows YW ETH at 34. 351,000 and let's see, 3,361 different addresses. And the Cryptoverse is busy explaining how this new and complicated DeFi toy works. In his daily newsletter, Set Protocol product marketing manager Anthony Sassano explained that YETH vault strategy this way. You deposit your ETH or WETH into the YETH or YWETH vault. The vault takes the ETC or ETH and automatically puts it into MakerDAO CDP slash vault with everyone else's ETH. The YETH vault borrows DAI from the vault against this ETH at a 200% collateralization ratio as a protection against liquidation. Then it puts that DAI into the YDAI vault. By doing this, it adds liquidity to the Curve Finance's Y pool then it can earn trading fees from the Y pool and staking the YCRV tokens on the curve DAO in order to farm CRV. It then recycles the CRV and trading fees into ETH by buying more of it on the open market. And here is another attempt, this time in visual. And because it's visual and this is a um, 
podcast. I'm not going to try to describe it to you because honestly, that was the best description that there ever is. And oh my God, I can't believe I was able to read that all the way through without screwing it up. Dude, did you just hear that? Did you just hear that? What I, what I read about this YE thing? If you're not running away from this, like with all the mustard, with all the mustard that you can, um, dude, you're going to die. I'm sorry, but if you're getting sucked into stupid shit like this, you deserve everything you get. The benefit of this, <laughs> said Cesano, is that those who are willing to take the risk can gain automatic exposure to one to over a hundred percent annual percentage yield without understanding the details of how the strategy works. But a major risk is if the MakerDAO vault dash C or slash CDP falls to below 150% collateralization ratio. Because of a ETH price drop, quote, this would mean that the YETH vault is open to being liquidated and YETH holders could lose money, he warned. As to what putting one's ETH in a YETH vault looks like, Eric Wall, the chief investment officer at crypto asset manager firm Arcane Assets, shows it here. And here is a link, so I'm not going to do that. But Wall also commented that we come up with fun ways why ETH vault strategists can take advantage of the fact that why ETH is probably going to control more than enough stake to 60 67% attack ETH 2.0 point uh, uh, proof of stake. Oh my God. To this, Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin tweeted that to say that one entity getting enough to do a 51% attack on proof of stake is fatal is a myth. Meanwhile, as reported by CryptoNews.com, U.S.-based research firm Delphi Digital warned that with the rollout of staking on Ethereum and DeFi protocols like Urine.Finance introducing ETH vaults, the markets for the second most valuable crypto asset may get significantly higher and then there's a, a a couple of tweets here, which I'm not gonna which I'm not gonna read. But dude, that's that is amazing. It's almost worth doing it again. But I'm I mean, this this uh, description of how how the Y ETH vault works. But I can't do that to you, and I'm running out of time. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. Ajit Tripathi is bringing you your daily train wreck this morning. Criticize DeFi all you want, but DeFi is the thing that finally destroyed Bitcoin maximalism's credibility by sucking maxis into the vortex. From here, let's hope crypto is about the technology and apps and not beliefs or shamans. He continues his idiocy by saying, to be clear, I'm long Bitcoin, short maximalism. Now, these idiots, I mean, even, honestly, even maximalists, myself included, have a tendency to, to rein in maximalism, okay, ourselves, just simply by looking at each other and kind of winking about it. The whole thing is, is that none of this other stuff matters. Only Bitcoin matters. Only only Bitcoin is the disruptor. Okay, it's only ever going to be the disruptor. It was the original disruptor. It opened the way for everything. Everything in this space owes its lifeblood to Bitcoin. And to say anything else or anything other is a flat lie. It's a flat lie. And what like let's say your dream comes comes true and the Link Marines win. You know who loses? the entire world. Why? Because at that point, nobody knows what's next. I mean, if you, if you topple Bitcoin, then your platform is going to be toppled in a quarter of the amount of time. And then that thing is going to be toppled in a quarter of that amount of time and on and on and on until nobody knows, nobody knows where to put their value. It's like the greed of the, the greed, the collective greed of a collected amount of human beings are doing the same shit that we've always done and we've learned fucking nothing. Stop it. There's your smoldering pile.
And we come into Terrible Joke Corner with Dad Says Jokes. My wife yelled from upstairs and asked, Do you ever get a shooting pain across your body, you know, like someone's got a voodoo doll of you and they're stabbing it? No. She responded, How about now? Ah, terrible jokes. Okay, that's all I got for you. Again, my apologies for not coming to you yesterday. It's one of those things where it couldn't be helped. And it also, like when, you know, people have, some, a couple of people have asked, well, why don't you just run, do a rerun? Well, I don't, that's not my gig. I'm not an evergreen kind of guy. I know I should be. I, I honestly, I, I get that, but I don't, I don't, make evergreen stuff. This is the daily news, okay? Evergreen stuff will come. But for right now, if I were to run something from four weeks ago, honestly, it would be four-week-old news. And that doesn't make any sense. So that's why I just gap, you know? So if you guys are charting me, fill the gap, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.